Good morning, Village Church. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and it is my privilege every Sunday to stand with you and be able to, while you're sitting, I'm standing, but be able to look into God's Word together. We are continuing our study through the book of Genesis, and we are talking about the life of Joseph. So if you're new with us, uh, you're kind of jumping in the middle of something, and if you aren't new with us, uh, this is one of the most popular stories that is told about this young man. He's 17 years old. Now, do you remember what you were like when you were 17 years old? Well, in Genesis 39, he, yeah, Dave's going, that's like, that's like another, another dimension for you, right? <laughs> 17 years old, and he is in slavery in Egypt. Genesis chapter 39, if you'd like to turn there real quick. And the question I want to begin with this morning is simply this. If somebody had God with them, if you were to describe somebody with, that, that person has God all over them. I mean, God is with that person. What would they look like? In your mind, if God was with Sally, for instance, what would Sally's life be like? Look at somebody and said, okay, Sally, she's really something. She has God with her constantly. Would she be physically blessed all the time? Or would she be, or would that matter to her at all? Would she be joyful and smiling or serious and grounded? Would she drive a nice car? Or would her car always be in need of repair? Would Sally seem to have all the stars aligned for her all the time? When you look at somebody and you were to say, that person has God with them, I wonder if that person would be rich or successful or prosperous or... Sometimes we have a tendency to think that, right? God's with that person, and so they kind of have everything seem to work out for them. Here's my next question. Was God with Joseph? Absolutely he was, and that's going to be very clear today. But the average person might have his doubts. When you get to Genesis chapter 39, you come across a young man who's 17 years old and who has literally lost everything. Lost his family, lost his home, lost his language, lost his name, lost everything. Joseph's life has completely changed. He has no hope in his mind for a future. Today, he would actually risk losing his reputation and maybe even his life. Now, some people looking at this kind of a person, this is key, might look at this kind of person and say, that person is damned. Like that person, there's something seriously wrong with that person's life. They're smitten by God. They're abandoned by God. Because Joseph apparently has lost everything. And when you're 17 years old, you're trying to get everything. You're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to make a future for yourself. You want the world to work out for you. You're, you're dreaming of being a, you know, your, your dreams have gone from being a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old being an astronaut to being something a little bit more reasonable maybe, like uh, you're planning for your future. And yet when Joseph is 17 in Genesis chapter 39, he has literally lost everything. And yet the Bible makes it clear this one point, God was with him. When the world looks at Joseph, they might see a broken and imprisoned slaves, but heaven looks at integrity, his, his integrity in this story and makes one thing clear. Joseph is favored by God. And so what I want to tell you this morning is perspective is everything. Let's jump in. Genesis chapter 1. 
you'll see this right in the second, second, see if you can find it, all right? This is our project this morning. The, how many times the Bible says, the Lord is with Joseph, or the Lord blessed what Joseph did, or the Lord made Joseph a success. Verse one. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Verse two, see it here? And the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of the Egyptian, his Egyptian master. We're gonna come across this phrase over and over. In fact, this phrase in Genesis chapter 39 is listed for us no less than eight times where God says for us, the reader, to understand the Lord is with Joseph. You need to understand this. The Lord is with Joseph. His world is falling apart, but the Lord is with Joseph. His, his future is gone in his own mind, but the Lord was making him into success. Over and over and over again, we are told, not by mistake, but on purpose, that although you're going to read about this man and see how this 17-year-old's life is crumbling into pieces, but you need to know one thing. God is with this, this young man. The author of Genesis wants us to know Joseph is nothing without God's help and his support. God is up to something. So verse three, here we go. His master, Joseph's master saw that, would you read that with me one more time? The Lord was with him and the Lord caused all he did to succeed in his hands. Now, question to you at this point is, how in the world would an idol worshiper in Egypt know that the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, is with Joseph. How would he know that? Joseph had to tell him. Joseph had to tell him about the God that he served because this Egyptian would only know the idols in Egypt and there was a lot of them. Joseph is open, obviously, about his faith. He wants other people to know the true source of his success. Verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight, this is Potiphar's sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of the house and put Joseph in charge of all that he had. How much was Joseph in charge of? Everything. Everything. Potiphar, this, this guy that was an idol worshiper, trusted Joseph with everything. Wherever Joseph was, Joseph was faithful and God blessed him. Wherever he was, leading those he was serving to have great confidence in him. And the Lord took those little seeds that he planted and blew them up big time. Everybody around Joseph knew that Joseph was the right slave. Can you imagine, like Potiphar must have thought, man, I totally lucked out on this one. I was down there to buy a slave. This guy showed up, popped up, and I, I paid for him, and I brought him home because he looked like he could like carry stuff around the house and help my wife with stuff around the house. And all of a sudden, he gets him to the house, and Joseph proves to be this incredibly faithful slave to the point where Potiphar's going, I don't need to do anything anymore. How'd you like to have somebody like that in your house? Wouldn't that be great? God will never let you do the big things until you prove you can do the small things. And Joseph was doing the small things really, really well. Verse five, from the time he made him overseer of his house, get this, and over all that he had, the Lord, here we go again, blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that Potiphar had in house and in field. Potiphar must have thought he had the jackpot with this guy. 
Potiphar benefited from Joseph's faithfulness. And church, there's a truth here for us. If I see my life as a daily routine of being faithful to God, I will be a blessing to others in my circles. Let me say that one more time. If I see my life as a daily routine of being faithful to God, I will become a blessing to God and to others in my circle of influence. Our faithfulness to God, this is incredible. This is why I'm so excited about this message. Our faithfulness to God results in God's blessing on others. Now let that sink in just for a second, because Ray, your faithfulness to God results in God's blessing being poured out on others. Not just on you, but on others. John, your faithfulness to God results not in God just being pouring out his blessings on you, but his blessings being poured on others. Like who is blessed when you are faithful? Let me ask it this way. Who is blessed if I'm a faithful father? My children, my family. Who is blessed if you are a faithful mother? Your husband, your kids. Who is blessed if you're a faithful spouse? Your, your immediate family, those around you? I mean, have you ever been involved in a situation where a spouse hates the other spouse to the point where they can't even stand being together? What are you left with? Like these circles go way further because then it becomes like a birthday party. There's a birthday party for the kids. If you show up, you're going to tick one of the guys off. So you got to decide who am I going to go? Who am I going to please? Am I going to please the woman or am I going to please the man? Then you got to choose sides and they got to figure out who's wrong in the situation. And then you got to be the bad person. Who is blessed if I'm a faithful spouse? Who's blessed if I'm a faithful husband? Who's blessed if you're a faithful mom? Who's blessed if you're a faithful worker? Who's blessed if you're a faithful worker? Your business? Your boss? Who's blessed if you're a faithful citizen? Your community? Who's blessed if you're a faithful student? Your school? Who's, who's not blessed if you're a faithful... I mean, who's, who's, uh, who's cursed if you're not a faithful student? Well, yeah, you are in the school. I mean, it goes both ways. It's amazing to me how my faithfulness blesses those around me. We don't think about it that way a lot, right? We just think to ourselves, like, my decisions influence my life. That is so wrong. And if there's anything out of the story of Joseph that we get today, it's this, that Joseph's faithfulness blessed other people. Potiphar laid his head on his pillow every night going, man, I am the luckiest person in the world. Not because of his wife, and I'll tell you that's true. <laughs> You'll find out in a minute why laid his head on his pillow at night and he thought to himself, I'm the luckiest man in the world because I got a slave that I bought that I can trust. You want to know how much he trusted him? Verse six. So he left, get this, how much did he leave in Joseph's charge? He left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him, he had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. Isn't that great? Wouldn't you love to have somebody in your house that does so much for you that you literally, all you have to worry about is like making dinner? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Joseph is a faithful steward of God first and others benefited big time. And here's the other thing about this. The more responsibility Joseph got, the more freedom he got. And the more freedom he got, the more faithful he was. Get this. If you're a parent and you trust your kid, and you give them more and more and more responsible to the point where they pretty much have the run of the house. Doesn't there hit a point sometime where you go, I wonder if they're gonna really be able to handle this? 
Like, I wonder if this is too much freedom. Joseph had run of the entire house, and Potiphar didn't have to worry about it, and, and Joseph was faithful, even to the point where he, he got more and more freedom, and he was more and more faithful. This idea has to come to mind, especially in the story, because Joseph's commitment is about to be tested. Here we go in verse 6. We finally find something out about Joseph we didn't know. Joseph's mother was, do you remember? Rachel. Was Rachel on a scale of 1 to 10 good-looking, or yeah, she could use some work in you know, some different areas? She's a 10, right? We know that because Jacob married her, fell in love with her. She was beautiful in appearance. And so when she had a son, guess what? She didn't t- he didn't take the looks of his dad. He took the looks of his mom. Verse 6, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. You get the picture? He's 17, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Swedish pool. Anyway, uh, Seinfeld going through my head, sorry. Verse 7, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now we already know that Joseph, God is with Joseph, but now we are faced with a question, is Joseph with God? Joseph has an obligation here. Do you know his obligation as a slave? Do what his master says. And his master's wife is second in the house. So if his master's away and his master's wife says, lie with me, he has an obligation as a slave to do this. We are to understand this is probably a normal situation for Potiphar's wife. She has no qualms about saying, hey, I got a slave, you know, he's good in form and appearance. No problems. It's pretty much in his job description. But verse 8 says this, But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. Do you get this responsibility that this guy feels? He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Now, what do you expect his next words to be? I would expect it would be something like, how can I do this and be unfaithful to my boss? Do you understand how important Potiphar is to me? Potiphar is my boss, and he has put everything under my charge, including you. And I am, he's resp- I'm responsible to him. I couldn't do this thing. Because of Potiphar. But that is not the primary reason Joseph gives for refusing Potiphar's wife. Do you know what it is? Oh, this is so good. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The secret to Joseph's success is he simply realized who he belonged to. He realized who really owned him. It wasn't Potiphar. It wasn't Potiphar's wife. On paper, Egypt owned Joseph. But in reality, Joseph was owned by God. And he knew it. There's not one moment that he actually sat back and thought to himself, I wonder if this is a good idea. 
I wonder if this is really in my job description. I wonder if God will let this go because if I don't do this, there's going to be repercussions. And this girl has been known to do this before. If I don't do this, she's got a temper and she's, <laughs> she's not that upstanding in character here. God knows what she's going to do. I could lose my life. He never stops to even consider it. He simply says, how can I do this thing, this wickedness, and sin against God? Joseph never wondered, will I get caught? I'm amazed by this young guy. He's 17. He's a virgin. He's in the house where he's expected to do anything he's told to do, and he refuses her simply on the basis, not that he's responsible to Pharaoh first, or to Potiphar first, but that he's responsible, first of all, to God. Whoever owns you determines your destiny. If Potiphar owned Joseph, Potiphar's house determines Joseph's destiny. If Joseph is a slave to no one, Joseph determines his destiny. But if Joseph belongs to God, the Lord owns him, and he's responsible to God first. I want you to get this. We talk about this passage of Scripture like the temptation is the primary thing here. That is not the primary thing in this passage. This passage is not primary, although it is, it's not primarily about the ability that Joseph had to refuse a request, even though it might cost him his life, is not primarily that. What this passage is primarily about is the fact that Joseph is keenly aware that he belongs to God. God is his master. More than, more than Potiphar, more than anyone else, God is Joseph's master. God is his authority. And I want you to know, church, the same thing is true for us. There's a passage of scripture I want to share with you that you should probably memorize. It's in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Because sometimes we say, well, God owns my soul. Listen, God, if God is your master, if God is your authority, God owns your soul, your spirit, and your body. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your, what church? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God, say it with me, church, in your body. You don't have a choice in how your body gets used. God is your authority. A lot of people, they say, well, Craig, you know, I, I, I make mistakes and I, I foul up and I, I don't realize sometimes that God owns my body as well as my, as well as my soul. And that's true. But if you were to think all the time that God is with you, if you were to think constantly that wherever you go, God is with you, I wonder how we would regard the use of our body. Are we using our body in a way that proves God is our authority? Do we ever have to sit back and think to ourselves, I wonder if I have some leniency here. I wonder if God owns this part of my body. And yet in Scripture, it clearly says that God owns all of us. You shall, in fact, the greatest commandment. Do you remember what it is? Jesus said the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. That's your body, your soul, your spirit. Verse 10. 
just when you think it's over. She spoke to Joseph how many times, church? Day after day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. Temptations are ridiculous. They never stop. But your way out is not to... Your way out is to remember who is in there with you. Verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the house were there, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. You can, see, you can almost hear it in her voice. I have had it with begging you to lie with me. Do it now. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. How tightly was she holding on to him? Tightly enough that he had to wiggle out of what he was wearing. She was a desperate woman. This would be the second time Joseph's garments are going to be used to lie against him to deceive others. Verse 13, as soon as she saw he left the garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he, my husband, has brought this Hebrew here to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. <laughs> Do you think they believed her? As soon as, she heard that I lift, uh, as soon as he heard, I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Now let me ask you this. If Potiphar had pulled into the driveway and saw Joseph, 17-year-old naked boy, running out of the house, would Potiphar had looked at that boy and said, now there's a righteous individual? <laughs> would you? Probably not. And yet that's exactly what happened. And then she lied more. Verse 16, she laid his garment by her, get this now, putting it on the bed nicely until her master came home. How long do you think she was sitting there? Minutes? Hours? Just setting up the scene. And she told him when he got home the same story saying this Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us, <laughs> get this now, you did this, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lift up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Was Joseph treated fairly? Did Joseph do the right thing? Who should have went to prison? No, I don't know. How would you feel if you were lied about like this? How would you feel about God if you were lied about like this? You did the right thing, you end up in prison. Now keep in mind, an Egyptian dungeon is nothing like the prisons that we see these days. This is a place you don't want to be. But Joseph was not phased, verse 21. But the Lord, here we go again, church. Say it with me. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him chesed, this word steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. <laughs> the beauty of the story is no matter where this guy ends up, the Lord goes with him. The Lord is with him constantly. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners who were in the prison, Whatever was done there, Joseph is the one who did it. Have you ever seen a prison run by a prisoner? Joseph was such a good prisoner that the Egyptian guard put him in charge of all the stuff in the prison while he ate 
you know, goldfish in the back room. Now keep in mind, if anything went south in this prison, whose head goes on the block? The guards. Especially if Pharaoh finds out, you, I'm sorry, you put a prisoner in charge of the prison and it all went south? Yeah, you're going to die and your family's going to die. But this guard was so confident of the work ethic of jo- Joseph He puts him in charge of all the rest of the prisoners. To the point, did you catch that? Whatever was done there, Joseph was the one who did it. This is the king's prison. And he would hear about it if anything went badly. Know what this tells me? This tells me that Joseph's guard, the chief guard in this prison, thought so well of Joseph that he would put his own life on the line. The secret to Joseph's success is that he knew God was with him. Verse 23. Look at this. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because, church, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. Now, I don't know what you would do in a prison to qualify it as a success. Like pretty much anything that goes on in a dungeon, I would think would be bad. But Joseph, whatever he was doing in this position, he did it and it succeeded. God was with him and would be faithful to him. Joseph knew it. No matter if he was free in Canaan, a slave in Egypt, or a prisoner in the king's dungeon, wherever Joseph was, Joseph knew God was with him. And it changed his perspective on life. Every decision Joseph made, he made with that truth in mind, God was with him. Was Joseph discouraged? He'd have to be, right? Don't you think he'd have to be at some point? I mean, you just don't think, oh, she lied about me. I'll go to jail now. I just don't see that happening. I see some really bad feelings in this guy. And yet, no matter how much he's discouraged, all we know is wherever God puts him next, he's the best that he can be. I would love to be that way, wouldn't you? Because I've been in some situations where it's like, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I want to go through this. And yet I look at Joseph's life and think, it's not that bad. Wherever God puts me, he expects me to be faithful. Why? Because I am certain he is with me. He has led me to this place. He will go with me through it. And if I really believe that, I wonder what kind of a person I would be. I'm sure he was discouraged. I'm sure he, do you think he defended himself with Potiphar? Like when Potiphar came home and Potiphar's wife lied, don't you think he would have said, listen, she's, she's not really telling the whole truth. Like, I'll try and be nice, but seriously, like all the slaves know this. It's about time that you know this as well. Like your wife's kind of, mm, she should know this. I'm trying to be your friend here. And yet Potiphar's, it, it, I'm sure he defended himself. And I got to think a part of Potiphar probably thought to himself, well, I got to do this because I, I, I got to please my wife or my life's going to be miserable. I'm sure Joseph thought he was alone at times. But God's presence with Joseph and God's presence with you is not contingent on your feelings, but on his faithfulness. And my feelings always get me down. So here's some so what's. First of all, sometimes your faithfulness will create more trouble for you. (laughs) Your faithfulness to God will create more trouble for you sometimes. 
there is moments in our lives when who owns you may cost you. Listen, let me put it this way. If Joseph slept with this woman, he stays in his comfortable position, but he loses favor with God. If, if he doesn't do this, he loses his comfortable position and maybe his life, but he stays in favor with God. Let me ask it this way. Would the favor of God have been on Joseph if he failed this test? If he chose to do what Potiphar's wife was asking him to do, would the favor of God been on Joseph? Nope. No, it would not. Favor of God is contingent on our faithfulness. To put it a little easier, favor to God is contingent on our obedience. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Our decision to please God has a direct effect on whether God puts favor on our lives. Now let me be careful that we understand this clearly by asking one more question. Would the presence of God have been with Joseph if he failed this test? Yes, but the consequences would have remained. It would have been a disciplining presence of God in Joseph's life. Joseph would not be the faithful steward that God would need to save the Jewish nation. Joseph is building up a reputation that would create him into something God needed him to be so that he could do this one amazing thing in his life that would cause the rest of us to talk about it for the next 5,000 years. Number two, awareness of God's faithful presence is a game changer. Listen to this. We started off our conversation, well, the message today, with this question. We asked, how would we really know if God was with somebody? We struggle with that a little bit. Maybe like, would they be popular? Would they be, be, be prosperous? Would they be successful? What kind of person would they be if God was really with them? If we described them in those terms. Let me ask you another question. Who did Jesus say that he would be with? There's a great passage of scripture that we read, Matthew chapter 28. We call it the Great Commission. It's supposed to be what we're all about as the church Jesus came to them and said, this is right before he goes back to heaven. After he has died, risen from the dead, he meets with his disciples and he says these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's what we do in church. And behold, these words, I am, church, say it with me here. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, God has promised to be with you till the end of the age. Have we hit the end of the age yet? Sometimes I wonder when I watch television, this is the end. If you're in California, you're thinking, this is the end. We're not to the end of the age yet. So the promise of God is still true. 
Jesus is with us to the end of the age. Why in the world would Jesus say this? I mean, baptizing is great. Teaching people to observe all that I've commanded is great. Making disciples is great. Those are like high priorities for us as a church. Why in the world would he finish with this phrase? You know why he finished with this phrase? Because he knew this would need to be in our minds constantly. Because we live in a world where we constantly face temptations, challenges, brokenness, where we constantly drop the ball, where we wonder if we're alone. We live in a world where lots of people wonder if they're alone. And as a Christian, you need to know, Jesus thinks it's really important for you to know that he included it in the Great Commission. He is with us to the end of the age. As you do the Great Commission, you will have great tribulation. John 16, Jesus knows in the world you have tri- tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you know what that means? If you want to be an overcomer, overcomers know the one who overcame the world is with them. Would you like to be on the side of the team that is guaranteed to win or the team that pretty much might, looks like it's going to lose? Which one would you rather be on? You'd rather be on the winning team, wouldn't you? Jesus has created a winning team by conquering death and the grave. He has taken the penalty of sin upon himself and he invites you to be on his team. He has overcome the world. That's what he means. You are going to have tribulation. Take heart. I've already won the victory. You are on the team that's going to win. Don't act like you're on the team that has a chance of failing. The one who has overcome the world will work tirelessly to help you overcome. And that's the secret to Joseph's success. The secret to Joseph's success is that he knew, he believed, no matter where he was, what situation he was in, whether he was in a nice cushy house, being a slave of everything, or a crummy little dungeon, whether he's in a well wondering if his brothers are going to kill him, or he's outside being dragged around by Ishmaelites to God knows where, he knows God is with him. Secret to the disciples overcoming persecution was the fact that they knew God was with them. Jesus knew. They needed to understand He was with them to the end of the age because every one of those disciples went to their death for the gospel. They needed to know. Overcoming meant they knew God was with them no matter what. And the secret to overcoming for us is exactly the same. Listen, you may not feel it. Satan may try and hide it. Your circumstances may cause you to doubt it, but Jesus said it. And you can have a promise that simply cannot be broken. And here's the thing. All of us know this deep down inside. Even even the person that hates God deep down inside knows they are responsible to somebody for their actions. There is something in our DNA as human beings that speaks to us clearly that we have a responsibility for the things that we do, and someday we'll answer to them. And I can prove it simply by this. You go to any person on the earth, even the one that hates God, and they will say, you should be a good person. Why? So you can bless others? Why? Why, 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 why? Ultimately because they know deep down inside there's somebody, something that gave them the responsibility of being good. For us, we know that that's God. And for us, we know that God is with us. For us, we know as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we will stand before God someday. And he will say, listen, when you were broken, when you were hurting, when you were tempted, when you were challenged, when you dropped the ball, you needed just to remember, I was there the entire time. 
the truth of this is woven into the fabric of our beings as human human beings and that's why sin loves to be done in the dark at least then we can fool ourselves into believing God can't see us this truth is so prevalent it's all the way through scripture I was reminded of it again this week when I did the services for Roseanne Mark's mom went to be with Jesus this past week and even there as we read Psalm 23 it's like there it is again it's all over the place Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The psalmist writes it out for us in Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness will cover me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for the darkness is as light with you. You need to understand, God is with you no matter where you go. No matter what you're going through. No matter the challenges you face. Do you want to know what a person looks like who has God with them? There they are, right there. That's what a person looks like who knows that God is with them. Because the fact of the matter is God is with each one of us. Even when we think that He's not, He is. Whatever you did this past week, He was there. Whatever you said, he was there. Whatever ball you dropped, he was there. Whatever temptation and challenge you succeeded or failed at, he was there. This is what a person looks like who has God with them. If you're thinking to yourself, Craig, I'm too far in the dark for God to be with me. Your perception is off. It just means that your perception might be too adjusted to be living in the dark. You ever stood in a dark room for a long time? Your pupils get really big and you begin to adjust to the dark? Some people live in the dark for so long, that's all that they know. The darkness may choose. The darkness you choose may, may overpower God's presence, but don't be fooled. Even there, God is with you. And while he may let you wander around in the dark, he beckons you to come back in the light. God is not distant from anybody. He's not far from anyone. He's right there. An older couple was driving in a car. They pulled up to a stoplight, and there's a younger couple in the car in front of them. And the older couple, they were sitting, you know, in their seats. The younger couple in this big truck, the, the guy was driving. The woman was, like, sitting right next to him with her head on his shoulder. And the woman in the car behind them says to the older gentleman, You see that? Uh, why don't we ever drive like that anymore? And the man said, I didn't move. You like that, don't you? If you feel like God is far from you, you need to realize he hasn't moved. Not an inch. We may have moved from him, but he's still with us. God is with you, and the secret to overcoming, to being an overcomer, is really believing that truth. The most, listen, the most common lie that Satan uses to instill fear into us is the fact that we start believing God is far away or absent from our presence. 
Let me ask you this way. How would you really make that decision if you truly believed God was right there with you? How would you deal with that temptation if you knew God was right there with you? How would you speak to your spouse if you truly believed God was with you? How would you work at your job if you really thought God was right there with you? Would you fear any situation if you really believed God was right there with you? Like I said, it's all the way through Scripture. Here's some of my top favorites. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, church, be strong and courageous? Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand of righteousness. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be in dread of anyone. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God is with you. God is for you. And God is in you. You do nothing alone. He is with you always. So I leave you with this last verse. Romans 8.31, my favorite of all. What shall we say to these things? Church, say it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? You don't ever need to feel abandoned. Because you're never truly alone. Wherever the Lord is taking you and leading you, He is taking you with Him. And He is with you. God is with us to the end of the world. Let's pray. So Father, we come to the end of this message. Really simple, actually. The simple truth that God is, you are with us. And sometimes we fail. Sometimes we think that you're asleep. Sometimes we think that you're not paying attention. Sometimes we feel alone. And yet we are constantly reminded because of your faithfulness and because you have written it all throughout Scripture from beginning to end that you are with us. Father, we look forward to that day when we will be with you face to face. Roseanne is there now. Wouldn't that be an awesome day? But until then, Lord, we walk by faith and not by sight, believing the promises in your word that you are with us you lead us, you guide us, you live and dwell within us, strengthening us and giving us peace, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Bore this truth into our hearts. And may we live as people who truly believe, no matter where we are, where we go, what pains we suffer, what challenges we face, what temptations we battle. You with us. And so we acknowledge, Father, that you are God and we are your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.